Hi everybody, welcome back to the Irish NFL show. We are building up to Super Sunday, a game where legends are made and there is limited limited groups of men, only 47 in total who have, who have actually been declared the most valuable player, the MVP in it. Our next guest is one of those guys, one of those band of robbers. Ladies and gents, former St. Louis Cardinal and New York Giant, two-time Super Bowl winner and Super Bowl 25 MVP, Mr. Otis Jerome Anderson. Otis, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. I'm, I'm so happy to know that I'm uh, well, well known <laughs> around the country. <laughs> well, look, I, I tell you what, man, like your, your surname, Anderson, right? I'm, I'm not going to lie. That's a bit of an Irish surname. Have you any Irish connections yourself? Or? Uh, well, I, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know that, but probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, Otis, if, if we take you, you back to, to the beginning of your career, because um, you, you were a, a superstar from the off. Uh, you exploded onto the scene with the Cardinals. Uh, the o- opening game, 193 yards. Can you talk to us about like that, uh, that rookie season and uh, maybe that, the first game and, and, and coming into the league and the impact that you had? Well, if you guys are not aware, the Super Bowl was played in Miami at the Orange Bowl that season. And I was a runner for the different teams uh, that was flying in. I was picking up their family members. And I recall going into the Cowboys uh, hotel, dropping off their you know, wife's girlfriend or whoever, whoever that was had flown in. And I saw Tutal Jones, Harvey Martin, Brandon White. Um, who was it? Uh, Cliff Harris. Uh, just tons of Cowboys that was just awesome looking. And uh, Robert Newhouse, I saw, Kevin Hill. So I go home and I call my mom and I say, listen, I go back to school and I say, mom, I know I keep saying I'm a one day want to play for football. I just saw the Dallas Cowboys. I'm telling you right now, I probably need to find another type of employment because that's not going to work. Those guys are big. And that was on a Friday. And then Saturday, I picked up the Steelers family and I saw Elsie Greenwood, Dwight White, Joe Green. And when I saw Mel Black, who one of the tallest defensive backs I've ever seen in my life, which I thought was a tight end. When I saw him and knew what position he played, again, I called home and I told my mom, you remember you told me about the Army and the Air Force and the Marine? Well, guess what? I think I'm going that direction. But <laughs> but uh, fate may be, I was drafted by the Cardinals and uh, my first three games, I think out of, out of the, from the gate, Cowboys, and I believe it was the Steelers right after that, and I got over 100 yards in both games. Otis, when we look back at your time when you played, it was very much a quarterback league, great quarterbacks back then, Dan Marino, John Elway, Joe Montana, Phil Sims, where running back was still, I suppose it was king still back then. When you look at the game now compared to when you played, I mean, you look at quarterbacks now and a lot of them are as much a running back as they are a quarterback. How, how do you feel the game has evolved over the years? Well, when they say they're making the game safe, they took away all the toughness that was back when we played. Um, for instance, when you tackle the quarterback, you can just let every bit of your weight fall on him between the ground and try to smash him through the ground. 
And today you can't hit quarterbacks like that. And and the fact that they have this new wide open offense where they go five five receivers and no backs, well, you, you know, you you that's all you can do. You match up. Guess who pulls the kick the quarterback? The safety. If you match up man for man, everybody's covered. So the quarterback can run and, and do the things they do. So the game has changed because of the rules of the game. And that's why you're having these quarterbacks to move around and to run the way they run, because uh, you play with less men, less big men on the field to make a difference. Um, Otis, obviously, when you were playing with the Giants, uh, you played with, uh, as Brian alluded to, a legendary quarterback in himself and Phil Simms, um, winning two Super Bowls with him. Obviously, Jeff Hoslier stepped in in relief in Super Bowl twenty-five. But what was it like, or what's Phil Simms like, to be honest, as a teammate back in the days, as a player? Obviously, run very hard by Bill Parcells at the time, but how did, how did you find him running that offense and working with him? Well, you know, Sim did command more of the offense. He was a quarterback that was going to stay in the pocket and uh, wasn't going to really run unless it was just extreme, extremely important for him to run. Uh, and, and that's what he was known for, his toughness. Uh, Phil actually worked out with the office alignment when it came to weightlifting during our uh, periods of time when we had to work out. So um, his toughness just, you know, radiated through the whole team that he's the kind of guy that he's going to stand there. He's going to make sure that, if, you know, before he attempt to run, he's going to get every receiver, every opportunity to get open so he can throw the ball. And Phil was much on running. You know, you don't live long being a, run, a running quarterback during my era. You know, there's a few quarterbacks that you could say did it, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, Fran Talkinson was a guy that did a lot of running back in the day, but then he was so little, he had no choice. But, you know, the big pocket quarterbacks, they're not going to run. I think watching, for me, Otis, watching the NFL back in those days now, for me, trying to learn about it and seeing that uh, that Giants defense at the time of those Super Bowl wins in, in that era, like guys like Pepper Banks, uh, Stevie Aussie and stuff. You know, did, did you want to avoid live practice drills against those guys? What was it like? Take us back. Was it crazy or what was it like? Well, you know, my first seven years, I played against the Giants twice a year. So I knew those guys and they knew me. So when we became teammates, we established a brotherhood or we call a friendship when it came down to those drills when we need to hit one another because we have done that before for keeps when I really tried to, you know, take them out or they tried to take me out. But now we teammates, we had to have a different approach. So we didn't really go after each other too hard, but we gave enough to make sure that we got the read and the picture that we need to have in order to continue to get better. Otis, we mentioned at the, the start, uh, Super Bowl MVP. I mean, you were absolutely integral to, to the Giants win. And um, we spoke to Jim Kelly a few weeks back and uh, your, your role in that came up. So you're famous in the Irish-American community and in the, the Irish community. Um, and I think your storytelling ability tells me that there's definitely uh, Irish in, in that background somewhere. But... <laughs> Can you take us back to, to the planning for the game? Because look, the, the Bills, you know, were the explosive offense. Obviously, the, the plan was to, to keep them off the field, but your running ability was going to be key to that. And I suppose the, the what was it like for you, you know, when when Parcells said, like, you know, we want you to, to carry the ball and you go over 100 yards in the game, you get a touchdown. Can you just talk us through that Super Bowl a little bit? Well, you know, the night before the game, which was, you know, Saturday night, we have our team meetings and 
and then you break off to individual group meeting with your position coach. And I remember in my position coach meeting with me and my other other uh, running mate, which was uh, Dave Meggett, Lewis Tillman, Lee Rousson, Maurice Cawthon, and then you had yours truly. And I remember we were talking about uh, the plays and, and, and how we're going to approach the game. And then Lewis Tillman, he always called me dad, and he said, so, Daddy, who do you think will win MVP of the Super Bowl? And I said, I'm going to win it. And he was going like, well, why are you going to feel you're going to win the MVP of the Super Bowl? I said, well, somebody got to win it, and I think I'm going to have more chances to win it. And then he was one of the first guys who congratulated me when I won it. But what was, what was unique about that whole experience was after we had our individual group meeting, Parcells and Coach Ron Earhart, who was the offensive coordinator, had a separate meeting with me. And they pull out the game plan and say, okay, here's the game plan. What we want to do, we want to run you, and we want to run you a lot. So tell us what plays that you feel comfortable with and how you want us to map it out. So as we call plays, we know we're calling to your strength. So I said, Bill and Ron, keep me between the tackles. Let me run between the guard and the tackle. I believe that I could be more effective that way. And Parcel said, well, if we constantly keep you between the tackles, they're going to figure that out. So we're going to have to sprinkle some plays where you get outside. We're not going to do a lot of those, but enough, because we can put Megan in the game, and we can use Megan and you as the lead blocker in order to stretch the perimeter if we need to. So I'm like, okay, I'm good with that. And that whole game, I only had two plays that I went outside. One down by the goal line in the first half where I got tackled for uh, maybe one or two yards loss. And then the other one was when I turned the corner and hit Mark Kelso with that famous uppercut like that. So those are the only two plays that I actually went outside. Everything else was kept in the middle. Otis, just uh, on the defensive side in the Super Bowl, uh, I actually watched the game during the lockdown. And one thing that stood out was on defense, the, the manner in which the explosive Bills defense was kept in check for a majority of the game. It was like nine backs, two, two up front and nine, nine backs to stop them from throwing the ball throughout the game. And until the fourth quarter, Torman Thomas didn't really get into the game. Well, when, when Bill Belichick introduced his philosophy for that game, Banks and the rest of the defensive players didn't want to buy into it. They could not understand, we're going to rush two men and drop nine. That didn't make sense. And what Belichick was telling them was, listen, Kelly wants to throw the ball. The Bills want to throw the ball. If you look at what they did against the Raiders the week before, their primary goals was throwing the ball. So if we can keep them from throwing the ball or make the receivers and punish them, even if they catch the ball, they'll think about, because they ran a lot of crossing routes. And, and he said, hit these guys five yards. That was the limit that you can do it. Make them look at you rather than, rather than look at the ball or look at the quarterback. Let them think about what route they're running because they're going to get their head knocked off. So it was that psychological game that we played with the Bills. Receivers, and you saw the game, the kind of the balls they were dropping right, because they were getting hit. But had the Bills figure out that we were rushing two and dropping nine, 
and they start running Thurman on the draws and screens, it wouldn't have been close. But their egos were so big that they knew they could just throw it. And Kelly was not giving up the fact that he's going to be MVP by throwing it. So they kept trying to throw it. And then finally in the fourth quarter, about, what, seven, eight minutes in the game, they started running it, and they, they came back, you know. So we just thankful that they didn't figure it out sooner. You you mentioned in there, um, Otis, obviously the game plan, Belichick drew up, that's in the Hall of Fame, that, that famous defensive game plan. But oh, I'm wow. curious, obviously that, 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 that coaching staff you had there, obviously you had the big kahuna, Bill Parcells, but Tom Cochran was on the staff, uh, Bill Belichick was on the staff, like eight Super Bowls between them. I mean, I suppose, A, did you imagine those assistant coaches would go on to the success they did? And, and B, are there any particular stories or memories that stand out back then of, of that whole engagement with that staff? Well, I, I, I used to always run the scout team plays, and I love to do that because I felt that when the defense had their period, that they're going to react fairly uh, and different than when we have ours. And plus, I'm going to have the starters when they have their defensive period. So I get the true reaction out of Lawrence and Pepper and Banks and Gary Reasons and all the defensive players. So I used to run those plays. And I remember one time we were playing the Rams and Eric Dickinson was the running back. And I would line up in his formation and I would run his plays. But instead of running the plays according to the sheet that they gave us, I would react like if I was playing the game against the Giants defense and I would make the moves that I think he would make. So Coach Belichick and I would get in an argument because he would say to my position coach, can we get somebody else in the backfield? Freaking Anderson is not running the plays the way it's designed. He needs to stay on the play side. He's cutting it back. And I'm saying, coach, that is what a running back is going to do. If you overshift, and I see that as I'm going in motion, I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna turn back. It's just obvious. It's just obvious. So I'm like, you you gotta be out your mind. And that that's exactly what what was going on when I was running. So he and I were back and forth. He said, freaking, I said, he said, uh, you know, you, you probably never play another Super Bowl. You probably never even be an MVP of a Super Bowl. And I say, well, you'll never be a head coach and you'll never win a Super Bowl either. So we both lied. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I, I, sorry, Mark, go ahead. I was just, I was just saying I love it. I can, I can just see Otis already you having that, that great argument and throwing the insults back at each other. <laughs> yeah, we did, yeah. Otis, I hope it's okay to have a quick run around with just with all of us again, just really quickly. But my just quick question is this. Tom Brady, 43 years of age. 43 years of age quarterback going into the Super Bowl this Sunday. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, I know like he's he's an incredible player, but 43 years of age to be playing in any position in the NFL, surely it's it's an incredible achievement. Well, put it this way. If I had to come back as a football player, I'm freaking going to be a quarterback because they don't get hit at all. <laughs> you can play till you're about 50. That's why Tom keeps saying, you know, they don't get hit. You can't fall <laughs> on them. You can't hit them too hard or you get a 15-yard penalty. If they don't run, then you'll never hurt them. So based on the rules and where they set up, that's why Tom been able to play so long. He's, he's, he's athletic. Well, no, I'll take that back. He's not athletic. He has a good uh, uh, chef that cooks very well for him. He has a great wife who he looks at all the time who gives him energy to go out and do what he does. 
you know. And then uh, he, he works out. He works out very well. So, again, if you don't get hit, you got a great-looking wife that keep you going, and you got a great chef and a great guy who works you out, you, you're gonna be, you'll be around a long time, especially quarterbacks. Otis, um, I feel like given, given the storyteller you are, that this might be a, a bit cathartic for me because I'm, I'm a Broncos fan, as is Michael. So you, you, got, you uh, were, we were, we were real good at getting to Super Bowls and losing. And uh, you obviously, you didn't uh, just uh, play in, in the one Super Bowl. We talked about the one you were MVP on, but you, you scored a touchdown uh, against the, the Broncos uh, in that in the the Super Bowl twenty one, can you talk a little bit about that game uh, in terms of the the game against the Broncos? Well, listen, I was mostly a spectator in that game. Joe Marsh was doing a great job that year for the running back, so I was his backup. But what was significant about that was when we got down towards the goal line for the last opportunity to score. Parcells said, "I want to put you in, Anderson. I want to give you a chance to score a super, score a touchdown in a Super Bowl." And, and the fact is, if you never ever play in another one, you can at least say you played in this one and you scored a touchdown. So I'm going to give you that opportunity. And sure enough, I went in and uh, dove in for about maybe two or three yard run. And, and, and I scored the Super Bowl. And, and who knows, five years later, I'm going to get another chance where I'm the feature running back. But I did say that. I did say come out of University of Miami as a rookie in 79, to my roommate, Kenny Johnson, I said, if there's a Super Bowl in the state of Florida and I'm the featured running back, I'm going to win MVP. And in 89, the Super Bowl was in Joe Robbie Stadium, which is the new stadium in Miami. And I was the featured running back because I made comeback player of the year. But we got beat by Flip Anderson and that in that. But uh, yeah. Oh, Otis, can I talk about the Giants today? I'm a Giants fan, and sure. we've had some diff we've had some difficult years, but I think by and large, most Giants fans would, would, whilst we didn't make the playoffs, I think would feel that we're going in the right direction under Joe Judge. I think he's shown in his first year he's got the capabilities to be a good head coach. Well, again, you you talk about a a, a tree, you know, Belichick tree, Parcells tree. You got. Joe's going to be a heck of a, a heck of a coach. You can see the player believe in him, and not to have an all season, not to have a training camp. These players went into the season blind, and they were like learn on the fly. Everything they were trying to trying to learn and adapt to was doing the game. So for them to have lost as many games as they did, but as close as those games were, I mean, we had Tampa beat. Up until the fourth quarter, about what six, seven minutes left, left in the game, we had the Steelers beat the same way. So they played good all year. They just couldn't get over the hump. And uh, until they, I would say, until they learn how to win, and Joe said, you don't learn how to win, you learn how to execute. And I said, well, those are the same thing. If you learn how to win, meaning that if you execute those plays that you, 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 you lost, if you execute those plays, if somebody would did this or did that, you. So they had to learn how to do that, and that's what they did. So, so um, he, he, we got the right coach. We got the right coach doing the right thing for us, 
And uh, we got to get a few players here. We, if we could get our speedy receiver in the draft that can spread the field and give Barkley a better chance to run the ball. And, you know, Wayne Gelman did a great job for us this year, coming from Clemson but some years ago on the national championship team. So we got a good little team going, and that defense is excellent. So uh, we look to be very competitive in 2021. Can I just ask one question? Um, the running back you just mentioned there, um, he, Wayne, 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 yeah, sorry, Wayne Gallman. He, um, for the last couple of years, he's, I suppose, he's never got a real opportunity. And with, with Barkley out injured this season, I think he's proven that he should be, you know, he's, he's well capable of being a player for the long term. Well, when you drop a guy number one, chances are you're going to play him, keep him around. So Wayne, Wayne, Wayne is just an excellent player, he had a great attitude. Um, I love his running style. I love the way he's always trying to fall forward. He's always trying to get positive yardage. So um, if the Giants lose that guy, if they don't keep him around, I think that'll be a real big mistake because somebody will see his work and go like, I would like to have him. Uh, Otis, I think you've just made Brian's year. He's going to be quoting you for the rest until the next season now. I said, well, Otis said, we're going to, we're going to make it. We're going to come back. So he's going to do well. That's right. Um, hey, tell him from my from my mouth to his ears. Exactly, exactly. Um, I was just bringing it back to the Super Bowl. You know, it's always intriguing that how the media circus around it has built up, and now like there's this big two week run. And obviously, back in your day, it was like week one week the NFC Championship, and the next week you're in the Super Bowl. So maybe there was less time for this palaver, shall we say, to develop. But I'm thinking back to the, when you were in Super Bowl 1990, the narrative around it was so negative almost against the Giants. I mean, you'd won the NFC Championship game, beaten the, Steel, uh, beaten the 49ers, sorry, but you hadn't scored an offensive touchdown. You had beaten the two-time Super Bowl champions, in fairness, but they were making a lot out of that. And the Bills had obliterated the Raiders. I think they beat them 51-3 or something. It was the biggest score in AFC Championship. You know, the players this week have been building up to this game and they're aware of some of the noise around them. How aware were you and the rest of the Giants back in 86 or 90 of the narrative and the media noise? And, and how much was Bill Parcells nudging you and making you aware of this? Like, you know, trying to stimulate the, uh, the competitive nature. Well, Bill used to always tell us, the team that scores the most points is going to be the one that wins. <laughs> it's just point blank. And he said, whether it's field goals by safety or, or whatever, it's the team that scores the most points. So you want to be that team that scores the most points. And that's what he's always sell us with. Otis, just, just finally from us, and this has been fantastic. We can't leave you without your pick. We've asked guys, well, I can't say what guys are is because it's going to be on a special show, but we've asked all these players, celebrities and stuff, Bucks, Chiefs, when it's all said and done, does 43-year-old Tom Brady ride off into the sunset with a Naver ring as much as he is protected? Or does Patrick Mahomes win two in a row and really cement what is turning into an arguable dynasty in uh, Kansas City? This is what I've been telling everyone. If you look at Brady's work that he's done in Super Bowl, I think it's only three Super Bowls that Brady ever lost that he was in. He's the GOAT for a reason. He finally put a team together that resembled New England. He finally put it together. Then you look at the other hand. You look at that young gun over there, Mahomes. If you take away all of Mahomes' weapons, then you leave Mahomes, who a man that can do so much on his own. 
So that was makes it so tough to pick which one. So my pick for the Super Bowl team that's going to win, Super Bowl 55, I think it is, it's kind of what Parcells always told us. The team with the most points is going to win. <laughs> <laughs> and there's your exclusive scoop, folks. There's your exclusive scoop. Otis Anderson, man. It's, uh, it's, 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 I can't even finish. Yeah, I, I get uh, <laughs> Man, look, it's it's been a pleasure, and you know what? It's it's great to have you on, and great to hear your just your memories you. and just your 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 opinion and, and analysis. And ho- hopefully, we'll get to do this again someday. But uh, for now, thanks very much, man, and uh, enjoy the Super Bowl on Sunday. Thank you. I appreciate. It. Thank you, guys. Hi, folks. Welcome to Super Moment Stories of the Big Game, brought to you by Kari Out off license your place for big nights in if you're looking to stock up ahead of sunday's big night carry out have some great offers at the moment including a uh, blossom hill wine which is now seven euro 99 each an 18 pack of miller 330 mils which is 19 euro 99 cents an eight pack of budweiser 500 milliliters which is now 13 euro 99 cents white cloth 330 milliliter four pack range is nine euro 99 cents and you can check out carry out off license on facebook for more. Hi everybody, welcome to Super Moment Stories of the Big Game, brought to you by Carry Out Off License, your place for big nights in ahead of Super Sunday. This Sunday, the big game, the 55th edition of the big game. We're going to look back today at the 49th edition of the big game when the Seattle Seahawks played the New England Patriots and the Seattle Seahawks came very close to winning that game. But we're joined, I'm sorry Michael about that by the way, but we're joined by the lads again here this week. Uh, just going through a lot of decent games you know trying to talk about the history of this competition but Colin I'll start with you uh, I think that Richard Sherman reaction will go down in history I will never forget watching that I think if it happened now even though the internet was obviously huge then anyway but I think if it would happen now it would break the internet it was one of the funniest things as a non-Seattle fan it was like the biggest meme ever um well, it was, and, and I, uh, because Pete Carroll tried to be the smartest guy in the room, and you, you have Marshawn Lynch, just give him the ball. It doesn't matter; they know what's coming. Just give him the football. I, we could the the, the world, you know, will continue to, to spin around the sun for another five billion years before the sun expands to engulf us. And even at that point, I guarantee people will still be asking the question, why did Pete Carroll do what he did? And we want it, we've talked about egos. There is nobody, nobody in the league who wanted it to be more about them than Pete Carroll because he had Marshawn Lynch and he didn't use him. The greatest single moment, I think, in the last decade of the NFL was that moment when they were at the half-yard line mark. The half-yard line. And all they had to do was hand it off. And my God, incredible. In- in- incredible. And do you reckon Pete Carr would have been the boy buying the, uh, the carry out at the, at, at the end of the game after that? Yeah, um, I mean, Michael, look, it's not about what the Seahawks did or didn't do. It's what about what the Patriots did, to be honest with you. Um, you've got to remember the backdrop to this. Um, Brady and Belichick were 
10 years away from their last Super Bowl victory. I mean, yes, it was and has been an amazing dynasty. But, uh, you know, back in 2014, it was like, will Brady and Belichick ever win another Super Bowl? Um, heartbreaking scenarios in 07 and 11 against the Giants, obviously. And um, sure, I, I remember this vividly. Uh, I had my um, my um, my first son, actually, and uh, uh, he wasn't sleeping very well. And my wife was really at me saying, like, are you seriously going to go out for the Super Bowl and go out drinking all night? And uh, I think I sold her on the point that this may be Tom Brady's last ever Super Bowl. And fast forward seven years and I'm still not right on that one. Um, and, and of course, you know, the way the game went, I mean... Um, you know, pretty tight and nippy, you know, 14 all at halftime, Patriots scored with 31 seconds left and they somehow let the Seahawks come down the the, uh, the, the pitch in ridiculous period of time. Chris Matthews, uh, and you might say who, looked like he was about to be the MVP of this Super Bowl and the Hawks were going to be the first back-to-back champions since the Patriots 10 years previously. But you get to the fourth quarter, you get to Brady throwing a, a pick, obviously, in the third that was very... Uh, costly, and the Seahawks build up a 24-14 lead, 10 points down, no team, no team had ever come back from that size of a deficit in the fourth quarter. And Thomas, Edward, Patrick, Brady, while I'm watching every play, screaming on every play, hurting on every play, having some guy who's on our show right now in my ear winding me up constantly about every play, um, manages to put together two championship drives and gets the Patriots head nose and lead. Often understated, Brady's been in nine Super Bowls. He's put his team in the lead in every single Super Bowl in the fourth quarter. Every okay. single one. He's amazing. And and yes, Michael, you're coming to the famous play just before that, Donta Hightower with a busted shoulder made a tackle to stop Marshawn Lynch. Without that play, without Malcolm Butler stopping the heartbreaking catch of Jermaine Curse, obviously going walking into the touchdown. That's the thing that goes understated about this. I had to suffer Tyree. I had to suffer the skill of Manningham. Tyree had nothing to do with skill. And then Jermaine Curse looked like he was about to break my heart for the third time in, in basically back-to-back-to-back Super Bowls for me and the Patriots being in it. But it didn't happen. Malcolm Butler did happen. And the Patriots dynasty rolls on. Well, Brian, I was about to say there after that homage. I mean, I think it was more of a church or a mass segment of Tom Brady there. But I was going to say, uh, Brian, you know, that wasn't the Tom Brady ball. That was the Malcolm Butler. But if it wasn't for Malcolm Butler, the Seahawks would have won the Super Bowl. Let's be honest. It's it's a rare it's a rarity because I was actually cheering on the Patriots that night, and I'm surprised by Mark saying that he told his wife that. It was Tom Brady's last Super Bowl. I thought he told his wife that he was going out drinking with me, and that's the reason why you have to go out. But yeah, I watched that game with Mark, and to see Mark go through the emotions for four quarters, I was slightly jealous in a way because I'd seen the Giants in Super Bowls over the past few years, and you can't beat that feeling of watching your own team in the Super Bowl. But I think I recall Mark in particular thinking towards the end of the fourth quarter, it wasn't going to be there at night, and then obviously when that uh, Kersey catch it towards the back end. But uh, yeah, it's not remembered for the four quarter comeback. And Marcus right, like the Patriots looked out of it. They came back really well, um, and it looked like the game was there. But it always will go down as that moment where, which is Collins alluded to, where Pete Carroll thinks he's the cleverest boy in the school, and it has to be Pete Carroll and not Marshall Lynch running in a touchdown. And um, I think everybody knows, by and large, the 
that stage of the game, the Patriots' defense looked tired and, you know, I think if they had to continue to run the ball effectively at that stage, they would have won the game. But not to be, and even Brady's celebration at the end looked complete shock. I think he was watching it on the monitor more so than watching it on the field, and his celebration after was fantastic, but he did look like someone who just could not believe what had happened to him. He thought he was beat, Mick. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I I don't want to show Mick this, but that this was <laughs> like I, I remember I was watching this game at the house, and I think I really just started laughing. <laughs> like it was nuts. But what was it like as a Seahawks fan to get into the half yard line, uh, Mick? And, and you must have thought this is in the bag. You must have at the time thought, here we go. This is it. This is it. We've beat them. Really, shut up, put up. That's it. Get out. Good luck, Robert Kraft. Good luck. What what was it like at the time? It is. Uh... It's indescribable. Um, I was actually watching this. I had school in about, I'd say, three hours after the final whistle had went. Um, and just after half time, midway through the third quarter, I fell asleep and I woke up uh, as this final drive was happening. I saw Curse's catch and I was like, oh my God, we're going to do it. This is it. And I wish I had stayed asleep because what followed was, as Colm alluded to, something that will be remembered forever throughout the entire universe as the most boneheaded decision ever. Um, there is no single Seattle Seahawks related post that goes out on the internet that will not have the comment, Seahawks should have run the ball, Seahawks should have ran it from the one. And to still see that now is the most painful thing because if we had have won that, I don't know how high the ceiling would have been for Russell Wilson and his team to go on, to go back to back, you know, to go to his first Super Bowl in the year after his rookie season, uh, to win, then to get back to the Super Bowl, only to lose in such heartbreaking fashion, I think has left a lasting memory for him in the playoffs, for him in big games. Uh, and I think he'll always hold that grudge against Pete Carroll for the decision that he made. And I know every single Seahawks fan does and should. Yeah, I, I think one thing just to, to say is that Lynch has talked about it and he says that when the call came in, the other 10 guys stopped and looked at Lynch and went, what? And that's the polite way of saying it. Um, and I think everybody knew at that point, if you're not going to, they were doomed. They were absolutely doomed by the call. It, it wouldn't have mattered. It was Malcolm Butler who was in the situation, but Pete Carroll created it. Michael, I just want to say, I mean, like, you know, Bill Belichick out coached and out thought uh, Carroll at the, that end point. I mean, he looked at the, the, the confusion on the sideline. They lost the timeout on the curse catch. And he just outthought him when the, the the temperature was at its hottest. But Brian Flores is now the Dolphins coach, and obviously as a Patriots fan, I have to I'm contractually obliged not to like him for that matter. But for me and many, many Patriots fans, two magical works words he said that you hear on America's game. Malcolm, go. And that was the order to get him in the game, and he delivered. He did indeed. He did indeed. Brian, have you anything to add before we go? No, I actually agree with Mick's point around the Seattle team at that time. They were a really good team, and if they had won that Super Bowl, there is a very good argument to think that they may have gone on and won more. I know the NFL, the way it works, salary cap, and everything that comes with that, but you ha they had the feeling of a team that could be around for a long time, and they have been around for a long time, albeit different, different situations, and this year people thought they would have beat the Rams, but 
he had a makings of a really good team. That defense really, you know, it kind of went a different way after a couple of years thereafter. They just haven't been the same since. And thanks again to carry out off license your place for big nights and big game this weekend. Obviously, it's the biggest game of the year in the NFL. It is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but the Patriots are going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. But make sure you get your carry out in at carry out off license. Check out the Irish NFL show Sunday, 4 to 8 p.m. for the biggest pregame items ever seen for the biggest game of them all in the NFL. And check out. Uh, we got a competition going for a carry-out voucher. See you again soon.